New Thought Guy. A couple had two little boys. And uh, they were eight and ten, age-wise, and they were always getting in trouble. In fact, if anything was happening in town that was troublesome, they probably were involved with it. So, like many parents who, who have what they feel are troubled children, um, they contacted a, a clergyman who evidently had been successful in uh, rehabilitating uh, boys like this. So he agreed to see them and he said, well, I want to see them individually though. And they said, okay. So uh, the parents sent the eight-year-old or they came with the eight-year-old and uh, sat in the clergyman's office. And the clergyman sat the boy down he looked him right in the eye and he said, where is God? <laughs> and the little boy didn't say anything. The clergyman got a little sterner and he said, where is God? Nothing from the little boy. The clergyman got even more sterner and he took his finger and he pointed right at that little boy's face and he said, where is God? That eight-year-old ran right out of that room, ran all the way home, went into this closet and closed the door, slammed the door, and just sat there shaking. Well, his older brother, knocking on the door, and opens up. He said, so what happened? What happened? Are we in trouble? What's going on? And the little boy said, shaking madly, oh. We're in big trouble this time. God is missing, and they think we know where it is. <laughs> now, of course, God really isn't missing. We're just looking the other way. Now, the, talk, the title of my talk is I See God in Everything. Our theme for this month um, is seeing is being. But can we really see God in everything? Many think not. As I was looking around, um, as that question rolled around in my head and I was looking around on the internet, I, I found a few things that talked about this. This is from a 14th century Christian mystic. They don't know the person's name. Um, it is from a book uh, called The Cloud of Unknowing. And in it, this person said, God is forever beyond the reach of the intellectual faculty. But by means of the loving faculty, it can be fully grasped by each individual being. God can be well loved, but cannot be thought. By love can be grasped and held, but by thought neither grasped or nor held. God is eternal, the human mind is finite. If God could be comprehended, surrounded by a concept, this would make us greater than God. We invent the illusion that God is a thing that we lack and must therefore seek, find, and control. Do you believe that? No. You don't know. You don't know if I said that quote. That's something I, yeah, okay, that's something I should believe. It's BS. It's duality. 
Now, there's not, it's not totally untrue in some ways. Some, like St. Augustine, said that it, God, could be located. He said, but when unknown to me, you caressed my head. And when you closed my eyes, lest they see things that would seduce me, I began for a little while to forget about myself. And my madness was lulled to sleep. <laughs> when I awoke in you, I saw very differently, infinite, in a very different sense. But what I saw was not seen with the eye of the body. So he's talking about insight there, St. Augustine. And Augustine, like many of us, was searching for God where it cannot truly be found outside oneself, like in our conquests, in our careers, in our ambition. He got woke in spirit, as they say, beholding what only the inner eye can see. So they say. The infinite possibilities of the one mind, the luminous vastness that we are a part of, the power that we can either forget, ignore, or reveal by the choice of our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. But is it only the inner eye that can see spirit? Now, it's true that when we employ what I call the divine matrix, which is the mind, the heart, and the inspiration, the spirit, the intuition, it becomes less of an intellectual exercise and more of a communion with realization showing up and transcendence showing up. To know in our heart is to know in our mind. Our what, now our what is, is our like our profession, our, our status in life, our finances, um, things like that, where we live, our what is not our who. Now our who, of course, is the truth. What we call in this philosophy the truth, which is that we are an individualization of the divine. We individualize God. But our who is also our what. We just require the eyesight and the insight to see that. Now I know this sounds confusing because I'm saying two different things. Wait a minute. Are you saying that I can only experience and commune with God um, by spiritual practice? No, I'm not. Now I could do this whole talk about, you know, insight and, and prayer and contemplation and meditation, but I believe God is in everything. Everything we see in insight and everything we see in outside. It's just that the outside stuff doesn't make us who we are. The outside stuff only reflects who we decide we are. This is a quote from Ernest Holmes from Love and Law. 
He said, in metaphysics, as in everything else, we are dealing with a proposition which is the substance of things which are not seen by physical eye. The human eye only sees things which are effect. The human hand touches only that which is effect. And we are very apt to say that these are controlled by law. Now that is true, everything must be governed by law. Law controls um, everything absolutely, but we are not as apt to realize that the law itself is an effect. So we see things through our perspective, through our perception, through our decisions, through our experiences, through our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. Those are the effects. But we also have to understand that the law which takes these ideas, these beliefs, and makes them and manifests them into our lives, that, is, that effect comes from us. We cause the law to manifest that. And what is the law but another part of the divine, of God? So those effects being here, having this or that or the other, what's going on in our bodies, that is an effect that comes through the law. So that is God experienced. Spirit is only in everything we allow it to be. Sometimes that takes a beginner's mindset. So I want to talk about the beginner's mindset. That is a Zen practice called Shoshin. And there's a, a, a gentleman who wrote several books on beginner's mind, which is a, a Buddhist concept. And he said, if your mind is empty, it is always ready for anything. It is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. When we reach the end of what we know, that's where we find God in everything. Our perspective of good, bad, or indifferent experiences can come through our expert scientific um, mind that says this is good, bad, or, or ugly. This is good, bad, or whatever. That's our expert mind. But when we see it through the eyes of God, things change. Ilya de Leo, she's a Franciscan sister and a theologian. She wrote a book called Birth of a Dancing Star, My Journey from Cradle Catholic to Cyborg Christian. <laughs> I love that title which is why I put it out. She has, she talks about these ideas about God's love that were written by uh, Dionysius the um, Aeropagite, excuse me. Um, he was a judge in the late fifth and early sixth century. Some people just call him Dennis for some reason. <laughs> um, that's what I found. Anyway, she was talking about things he wrote and he, it is, it is, thought that he might have written that book I was talking about earlier. But anyway, God's love is so tremendous, like a sober drunk falling over itself in the desire to share divine life. God's love is so tremendous, it is like a sober drunk falling over itself in the desire to share divine life. God is the Eros of divine love. God is the lover, the giver of divine love. 
God is the agape, always giving itself away. Well, of course, we individualize it. This each and every one of us, our, our God, or whatever you want to call that power, giving itself away, experiencing life through this, that, Dana, everybody. We forget, we, we long for God because God longs for us. Because it experiences life through us. And we experience our best life when we are spiritually connected. When we have communed with that power that is within us. God, the volcanic eruption of divine life, seemingly hidden but revealed and, ex and accessed by way of its manifested creation, eternally desires to give itself away in love so we can give ourselves in love. When we commune with that spirit intentionally, this starts to happen. And the more we do it, the more this starts to happen in everything that we think, feel, and believe especially. And if this is happening in everything we think, feel, and believe intentionally and consciously, then our experiences reflect that, mirror that. And so then our experiences, which are an effect caused by, through this, not by this, but through this, and then through the law, that's God in here, in our experience, manifested. Ernest Holmes says there is a divine urge within everyone to know more, to be more, and to express more. And I have found that the thing we are searching for is the thing we are searching with. <laughs> Good, bad, destructive, constructive, all is the same in God. The universe is non-judgmental. The universe doesn't know positive or negative, maybe in an energy form, but... I only say that because that's how we understand it, because we have made these terms of positive and negative in an energy form. But, but it's, it's non-judgmental. Take, take Noah's flood. Did that happen? I don't know. You can believe it or not. But do you believe when people, um, when people talk about Noah's flood that, you know, God was mad and God wanted to destroy the earth except for this special family, Noah and Seth and, and all those people and, and a bunch of animals and, and you know, some uh, dandelions and other trees and all the things that uh, he could miraculously fit on this boat because God was mad. That whole Tower of Babel thing. You wanted to reach God, so God made different languages so nobody could talk to itself. Because God was mad. Eve took the pomegranate or the apple or whatever the heck the, the fruit was off the tree of knowledge and ate of it. And God was mad, and so now they had to wear clothes. <laughs> and now they had to know that, that not so nice things might happen in their lives. God's not mad. Mankind. Humankind is self-destructive a lot of times. And so what is the law going to do with that? Oh my gosh, if race consciousness, meaning the consciousness of the race, the human race, 
shows up with this idea that we're all bad and we're not existing well and um, we're just, you know, um, you know, like those nasty people in what is that town with the pillar of salt and all those people. You know, if we're all like that, then, you know, we don't deserve to live. Well, you know, if, if the consciousness of the human race starts saying that, then what kind of things start happening to all of them? They get lousy lives. Noah's story is a metaphor. It's a parable. My kidney stones that I talked about before, and I've done a whole talk about before, years ago. That wasn't fun. <laughs> but you know what? That I see God, which is what that talk is about. I see God in that as much as I see God in standing ovations that I've received. I see God in my divorce, again, years ago, as much as I see God in my ministry, inspiring others to their best, to their most magnificence. I see God in everything. Sorrow, happy, good, bad, positive, negative. Joy is in the experience and or in the lesson. Things like it, my perspective, my perception on life is that negative things are a lesson. Obviously, they're not a happy experience. The divorce, the kidney stones, the speeding ticket, whatever, the cold, the flu, whatever, the aches, the pains, the job loss, the not getting a job, those aren't fun, those aren't happy, but I see God in them. Maybe not right away, because I allow, I allow myself the feelings. I don't like that. It makes me angry, it makes me sad, I cry, I vent, I scream, I yell, whatever it might be appropriate feeling-wise, at least what I feel is appropriate feeling-wise. We all do that, but when do we get to the point where we see God in that, where we see the lesson in that? Again, Ilya uh, Delio writes, Wisdom is knowledge deepened by love. The wise person knows more deeply by way of love than by way of argument because the eye of the heart can see the truth of reality. The eye of the heart, the eye of spirit, of the divine that is living within me, within you, sees, perceives, has the perspective of this experience is all a lesson or is all a joy. All comes through joy. All comes through the love of law, the love of God. Hence, the wise person is one who knows and sees God shining through everything, even what seems ugly or despised. And Ernest Holmes tell us, tells us we are to look for God and each other and love this God, forgetting all else, the namaste. Well, there's more than a namaste between um, you and I. There is a namaste between the, uh, uh, you and the person you don't like. Because the person you don't like, even if they're quote-unquote awful people, which of course they are because you don't like them, um, <laughs> even if they're awful people, the namaste is still there. Whether they reveal that very often, that's a different subject. 
but the namaste is there. So too is the namaste in the, uh, the, the beauty of the Grand Canyon, the beauty, the, the love, the, the, the intensity of looking into your puppy's eyes or into a baby's eyes. They just love unconditionally. That's the same namaste that is in the cold that puts you to bed for a couple of days or the flu. The same namaste when, when you get a fender bender or you get stopped and get a ticket and have to do all that, whatever you have to do with the ticket financially in traffic school, blah, blah, blah. Or even, quote, unquote, worse things. There is a namaste in there. There is God in that. There is um, an effect from our belief that attracted somehow, who cares really, but somehow it attracted that in our life. So if we don't like it, then get a lesson from it. Eat better. Drive slower. <laughs> learn to communicate in the best way for that other person to hear you. Step out of that, that pond of I'm right and I don't have to change at all for the other person. If that other person, for whatever reason, whether it's romantic or business or whatever, is not serving your purpose anymore, then you work on it in action, in belief, in spiritual practice to remove that person from your life or to change the dynamic somehow. And if you don't know how to do that, then you sit in prayer and allow spirit to inform you because spirit is in that situation too. Yes, I may sometimes not like the experience I'm happening, but as I move through it and pass it, pass through it, pass around it sometimes, I learn from it because I know spirit is in it. I see God in everything because it is. And I want you to join me in that so that your perspective on life is, is this joy and something I want to keep? Sort of like in your closet. Or <laughs> is this joy and something I don't want to keep that I take a lesson from? God is always speaking. Take a listen. Thank you so much.